0: Let's pray and we'll look into God's Word here. So uh, Jesus, we, um, as I say often, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe his presence is here right now. Uh, we don't just believe in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the reality of the Holy Spirit as well. He's here, that he's, he and he alone is able to help us see and hear things from your Word that we could not see and hear um, simply with our own cognitive powers. So Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, open our ears, help us not only see and hear things, but then remind us, Holy Spirit, that you give us the power to trust what we hear and see from you, and then you, you have the power to change us so we can become the kind of women and men that are full of the life and power that come from you alone, God. That's who we want to be. We ask this all in your name, amen. So if you've been around Exodus at all for the last number of years, you'll know that there's a statement that we have. One of our values is uh, we practice supportive speech and actions toward all of the Christ-centered churches and pastors in Bloomington. And you'll notice I don't have all of them, but I have quite a few logos from many of the churches that we've sent money to. Their pastor's wives. We've paid for things. We've given them money. I mean, we've done a lot. We've, it's been, I, I, didn't, I didn't take time to add it up. But there's thousands of uh, thousands of dollars our church has invested in other churches and other pastors in Bloomington. And uh, just from my own experience, it's, a, it's an unusual thing for churches to do that. So here's the question I'm going to ask her. What next? One, next one. Why do we do that? Here's possible answers. All right. Possible. We, we do it because we want to be liked by others. That'd be a good reason. You give people money, they like you. That's not why we do it. All right. Uh, Because we want a good grade from God for playing well with others. We want God to think we're good and hang out with, you know. Um, C, because all roads lead to God anyway. And I'm saying that because we're somewhat discerning about what churches we support. So they're Christ-centered. So we're not just saying anybody's, anybody, all religions are the same. But but we're very discerning about Christ-centered churches. And then D, because it's good PR for us. It's interesting PR for us, because I think most churches uh, and pastors, when they get things from our church, I think they're intrigued and a little bit confused, and some of you even told me after the fact, they're trying to figure out what our angle is, like, what do you want back from us? And when I've told them, nothing. I still, they just still look on their face like, okay, they're... but then over time, actually one pastor told me, it was Tom Ellsworth, he used to be at Sherwood, he said, I got to the point where I realized you're just doing this because you want to be generous, and I said, yes, that's all we're doing. All right, but that's not the reason we do it. All right, um, the reason we do it, E and I didn't fill it in. The reason we do it is because Jesus wants us to. Jesus is passionate about this kind of thing. He's passionate about—I'll use the word unity. He's really passionate about it. And so we're going to talk today. I've been doing a series on uh, praying like Jesus. We talked about two things we should always. In the end. When hard times hit or challenges hit in our lives, if we can do this well and do this well, we're building a really good foundation in our life with God, all right? So this last four weeks, have been doing Pray Like Jesus. Go to the next slide. We've been doing it from John 17, and uh, we did week one was keep them safe And the evil one. Week two was make them holy by your truth. Uh, week three, last week, was teach them your word. These are all statements that Jesus made when he was praying for his disciples, when he's praying for us in John 17. So this week we're doing the May They Be a One. And Jesus' passion for unity among his people. And just again to remind you what, what the context is. So it's the Last Supper. Um, we tend to think of the Last Supper picture, the famous painting. But they're all seated around, seated around a table. I know people always envision it as rectangular. I'm assuming it was. We don't know otherwise. But, and they didn't use chairs. They were kind of slouching on the floor or whatever how they do it. And uh, all 12 of them were around the table. So it's the night he was going to be betrayed a few hours later. So Jesus knew what was coming. They did not. They knew Jesus was a little bit uh, troubled because the Bible tells us he was. But John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are accounts of that evening. Meal, conversation, and activities. John includes a big chunk of his book about that because you realize it's a significant part of showing us the heart of Jesus. All right, so in John thirteen, so I just said the Last Supper. He's, he's teaching. So most of the time they, they have the meal, um, the Passover meal, celebrating God delivering them from Egypt, and then uh, then some unique things start to happen. So. Go to the next slide. So I'm just giving background here. So in John 13, Jesus had just washed his disciples' feet, which was totally unheard of for a leader to act like a servant slave. This is a huge marker that we need to pay attention to, how Jesus led by serving and washing dirty feet. And always, it's always good to be reminded that he also washed Judas' feet, the one he knew was going to betray him. I mean, just think what that might have been like for Jesus to wash the feet of Judas. Because just a few verses later in the same chapter, Judas leaves the meal because Jesus, it even says, Jesus said, I'm deeply troubled. And he says, One of you are going to betray me. And they're all like, What are you talking about? And then somehow I, Judas is identified or Judas knows it's him. He gets up and leaves. So he just, Jesus, this is this incredible thing of washing feet. He talked about somebody's going to betray him and Judas leaves. So you can imagine, kind of, there was an awkward maybe tension, but they have, Jesus has their attention because they, now they know something's different about tonight. And in that context, from John 13, this is going to set up what we see in John 17. Jesus says this. Actually, read this out loud with me, all right? So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. All right, so the LEO that Coach Tom Allen of IU football uses, he didn't originate that, and he knows that he got it from this. All right. So, but Jesus is telling them, hey, what's coming down the pike is going to be a lot. Of, you're going to have confusion. You're going to have some pain and suffering. And things are going to be happening. Jesus knew that. But he said, in the midst of all that, love each other. I, I have loved you. And he had just washed their feet, so he's kind of saying, serve, love, love each other. And then it's interesting, this last phrase, he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So he doesn't say your doctrinal purity will prove to the world you're my disciples. He doesn't say the quality of your worship songs will prove you're my disciples. He doesn't say your church name your church set up, it's it's your love for one another. That's the one thing he's saying. You love each other, Um, it's going to prove to the world that you follow me. And in saying that, he obviously knew how hard it was going to be to love each other. Because you think about even the disciples, you had Matthew who used to work for the Roman government, the hated Romans, and then you have Simon the Zealot who used to be like so anti-Rome. I mean, before they met Jesus, those guys would have hated each other. And you have all kinds of different personalities. And so when Jesus says love each other, he knew they weren't just all cut out of a cookie cutter. They all are following him, but he also knew it's going, what's going to be happening in the next few days, my crucifixion, you know, love each other. Whatever you do, love each other. All right, so I'm setting that up because that's important to say. Jesus said the proof to the world that we're followers of Jesus is not... Our morality it's not our doctrinal theology stated it's how we love each other all right that's the proof all right so now go to the next slide so now uh take out this on this on your seat and uh so I've had these four weeks now you can take them if you've had take them one every week you got four of them sitting around your house but that's what I made them for because I want you to kind of think about praying for people in these ways so on the back is John 17 the whole prayer so 17 is the whole prayer, where it said Jesus looked up and started praying. That's how he did it in that culture. Disciples were listening in on this prayer. And you can imagine Jesus' passion in this prayer. I'm sure he wasn't just speaking in poetic King James English. He was probably quite passionate about what he was saying. All right. So I'm going to start with uh, verse 9, and then we'll stop at the place we're going to focus on tonight. So, Again, Jesus at the table is doing this says, my prayer. And they're, they're hearing all of this. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, for they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so that they bring me glory. Now I'm departing for the world, and they are staying in the world. But I'm coming to you, Holy Father, for you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so they will be united. All right, he's already talking about unity. And how the unity can only happen if they're protected from outside forces, not politically, but spiritually. So they'd be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one of them was lost except for the one headed for destruction. Judas had already left the meal, as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in the world, so they'd be filled with my joy. I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. All right, stop for a second. Jesus is praying for us too, so we're around the same table when you think about this. All right, the world hates them because they don't belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe for the evil one. That was the prayer for week one, keep them safe for the evil one. They do not belong to the world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. That was our week two prayer, holy being distinct, pure, and powerful. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, that was last week, which is truth. So we talked about the importance of studying, knowing, understanding, being taught the Bible, letting the Holy Spirit teach you the Bible. All right? Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice so they can be made holy by your truth. And this part kind of hits what we're talking about today. I'm praying not only for those disciples, these disciples, now there are 11 around the table, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. And as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Read this next line out with me, all right? And and may they be in us so the world will believe you sent me. All right, I'm going to come back to that, but I want you to read that. May they be in us so the world believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. All right, see this theme. Jesus is really passionate about our unity. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and you love them as much as you love me. All right, go to that next slide because that's the fa- passage I just read. Read this out loud with me. All right, here we go may they experience such perfect unity so that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So Jesus, and the prayer I have on the card this week is, may they be one, but the body of one and perfect unity, it's the same thing. So I've highlighted, you probably can't see it that well, although I don't have my glasses on, so that's why I can't see it that well, but the so that is in yellow, all right? And it may seem like a trivial thing and maybe is a trivial thing, but that's a very the so that comes from a three letter Greek word, which just means so this this end product would happen and there's a number of other times in this chapter that Jesus says, "I'm praying for this so that this will happen. I'm praying for this so that this will happen. For example, earlier on in the prayer we didn't read the whole prayer, but he prays so um, for us that we have eternal life, that we have his joy, so that we become holy, so that we bring Jesus glory. So he's praying for us so that we, he's talking about us the, the, but now he's not talking about, I'm asking for this so that these guys are on the table and all will follow me so they can have joy and holiness now he's praying for those if I can say it this way on the outside and I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, but those who aren't yet followers of Jesus. Because now he says, may they experience such perfect unity so the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Here's my question. I've I've always been intrigued and really, I'm passionate about this passage. Because, okay, so does that mean that our unity, how we treat one another, how we love each other, is a catalyst for your neighbors, my neighbors, your family members who don't follow, is that a catalyst for them to understand more things about God? Like he says, if, if they have unity, then the world, now when I say the world, I want you to think of people you know right now that don't follow Jesus. Friends, family members, um, co-workers, um, so... May they experience this perfect unity so that those people that you know will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So it seems like Jesus is saying that our unity somehow unlocks something in the eyes and the lives of people who don't follow Jesus that is not, that is not unlocked if we don't have unity. Like there's something really powerful about our unity Jesus is telling us here. So, what does that mean? Because we have all these evangelism programs, churches have evangelism programs, there's been all throughout the centuries, ways you can share the gospel with people, that's good. It's good, it's right to have those things. But it seems like Jesus is saying here, a significant block to your friends, my friends, your neighbors, my neighbors, family members who don't know Jesus, a significant block to them not seeing things in the invisible world about God, about how much he loves them, is the lack of unity and oneness among his people. Like there's, a, there's a clear sense there. So go to the next slide. So just, uh, this is from first or Second Corinthians chapter 4. So now I'm talking about, again, I'm talking about the world, and you can fill in the blank, names of people you know who don't follow Jesus, family, friends, neighbors. Paul says this, Satan who's the God of the world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So, your friends, neighbors, family members, coworkers. Their eyes have been blinded. Because we believe in the invisible world. This is one of those weird meter passages, like wait a minute. So somehow their eyes are blinded. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. So it seems like there's a supernatural power that keeps these people your friends, your neighbors family members keeps them blinded so they don't see who Jesus really is and if I can just jump back from John 17 they don't see how much God really loves them they don't see the reality of Jesus being sent from God and just the life giving importance of following Jesus, they don't see that because supernaturally, they've been blinded. And then also in this pe- book, 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about a veil being over people's eyes. They can't see. So again, I want you to think about friends, coworkers, neighbors, you know, that don't follow Jesus. And I'm not being, again, I'm not being condescending to say their eyes are blinded by a supernatural reality that does not want, does not want them to see Jesus so the key, go to the next slide I think we're going back to no, no, actually go back one more time yeah right here, the key seems to be us like okay so if we have unity something gets unlocked so these people your friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members who don't know Jesus they start to understand that God loves them and that Jesus was sent by God So now go to the slide that says, may they be one. So this is, so based on this prayer of Jesus, may they be one, so the world's gonna know and believe you. We want these people, we want them to know and believe that God loves them. And you can tell them, and we should at certain situations, right? But it seems like the unity that we have is a catalyst for something them, being unblinded, something being taken from their eyes so they start seeing things. So Jesus is putting a huge weight on the disciples' shoulders to have perfect unity in his mind and on our shoulders to have perfect unity. Now, let me unpack that a little bit about what does that mean because perfect unity doesn't mean we all have to sit in the same place on a Sunday morning. But what does it mean? What does oneness mean? Let me start first with it in just describing a different kind of oneness, and that is marriage. There's a oneness that happens in marriage. And, you know, those of us who are married, the Bible says we're one flesh. So that means, doesn't mean that Kathy and I walk lockstep in uniformity, but it means we're on the same page. We think we're on the same sense. And the biggest the biggest inhibitor to oneness in marriage, this is, I'm speaking from a personal experience, is pride. All right? So early on in my marriage, and I'm going to share a story that makes me look bad, not my wife. I remember thinking, we have conflict occasionally. <laughs> and when we got married, we had conflict a little more occasionally, right? But I remember one time, I can, we had some argument about something. I can't remember what it was. You never can. And I remember thinking, it's all her fault. I mean, I may have misbehaved too in the argument, but since she started it, it's all her fault. Because I thought, it's all her. I I got it. I'm good. All right? Somehow, the Holy Spirit kind of knocked me upside the head in so many ways, and I started realizing, wait a minute. This is how I think. Okay, if there's like this conflict between us, she might have a few pieces of the pie that she contributed, but so do I. I really would like just to blame her. makes it makes me feel easier about myself. I can I can think I'm good. I'm I don't need. But pride. And then I started realizing, oh wait a minute. God humbled me, and I had to realize there's things I'm doing that are making this oneness not happen. Because my job is me, not her. My job is to understand what I need to be doing. To make oneness happen, or what I need to stop doing to make oneness happen, and you can—we all understand that if a marriage has oneness, it has significant impact not only on the family and the kids, but neighbors and things like that, because people see, people know that there's—if there's a oneness in marriage, there's more often than not there's a supernatural component, like something they love each other, right? So now, now, now let's shift to churches now. Uh, I used to work years ago at another church in town. And I was absolutely convinced of this statement. Why would anybody go, go anywhere else in this town but my church? Like, we're the ones that have it right. I, I really believed that. I just thought, we teach the gospel, we teach the Bible correctly. Everyone else, even good churches, yeah, they're okay. They're not like us. And I realize now how small-minded that was to think that way, to think that my church then, or for that matter, even if I were to ever think that my church now, I mean, we're just better than the others. I used to think that way. And I realize now that it was just so... And then uh, the thing that God used to break that was when Kath and I moved back to Bloomington, before we started Exodus, before we had enough people to meet on Sunday morning, we decided to go... To a number of different churches every every Sunday we went to a different church, um, Methodist, Baptist. I think we might even go to Catholic Mass. I can't remember. We went to <laughs> we went to Second Baptist Church, which you know is African American. We had to leave that service early because it was like a three hour service. We had small kids, so I'll say the same thing if to Derek about their church at Lighthouse. But what we realized in doing that over weeks and weeks and weeks was wow, God's at work in a lot of ways in these churches. And these were Christ-centered, Bible-centered churches. Not every church I would say that about in Bloomington, but I'd say these are Christ-centered, Bible-centered churches. And Kath and I started to realize, wow, there's, there's a lot that God's doing in Bloomington. And it's not, we don't, have, we don't have an angle on the truth. And God used that even to kind of check my pride significantly because it's like okay if other things are happening at this Baptist church or that Methodist church or this Pentecostal or charismatic church or at this Catholic church where they seem to really focus a lot on Jesus then we need to love them we need to love, we need to love these people and part of the reason when I had that opening statement, we'll practice supportive speech and actions toward all of the Christ centered churches. Love, as you might know in marriage or any relationship, it's not just a feeling, it is speech and actions. I mean, I can love my wife, but if I never say or do anything that exhibits that love, then it's just kind of fluff, right? Same thing with other churches, speech and actions. So that's why we started the habit of Exodus of giving money to other churches, money to other pastors' wives, um, in ways that, like I said, it still, still confuses other churches when we do that. But I but that's my heart follows my money, right? We all do. You don't give money to somebody you hate. All right? But we give so we do that because we want, we want to love them. And I know a lot of these pastors, uh, there are certain theological points I would disagree with them about, you would disagree with them about, there are certain habits of how they do worship you would like, I, would, I wouldn't want to study diet of that every week. But if, if the spirit of Jesus is there and they trust Jesus and they trust the Bible, then they're on our side, they're not the enemy, they're not the competition. Our competition is not um, other churches in town. Our competition is the fact that Satan blinds the eyes of unbelievers, and the way those are opened, the way they begin to start seeing, is how much the church loves each other. So that's why we do that. That's why we do those things. That's in in my mind. That's our evangelism program. We love other churches as well. I I don't speak evil of other pastors. I don't even try. Somebody asked me one time to, well, what about this church? And I, I just said, I used to say in my young years, I would have said, well, we teach, our teaching's probably a little deeper than their church. That's what I would have said 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Now I just say, you know what? I'm glad the Spirit of Jesus is at that church. I might add, would I want a steady diet of that church? Probably not, but they wouldn't want a steady diet of my church. But if they teach the Bible and they trust Jesus, then I'm on their side. Whether it's a a Baptist pastor, which is true, that I know one in town, a Baptist pastor, Southern Baptist and all the stereotypes you would think, they use a version of the Bible that is old and ancient because that's what they want to do. But I'm absolutely convinced the spirit of Jesus is in this man. I'm absolutely convinced he loves Jesus. Then you go to the, Father Patrick, the Catholic church in town, who tells me, and I, grew up, I grew up in an anti-Catholic culture. All right, maybe some of you did too, maybe some of you grew up Catholic and God's used some situations and relationships so I asked Father Patrick one time what's his, what's his deepest passion for the people of his church he said I want them to have Jesus in their heart and I want them to study the Bible and I want students to be sexually pure I'm thinking that sounds <laughs> I'm on that side now did we talk about or argue about Mary or things like that Or with the Baptist pastor, did we argue about what version of the Bible you're supposed to read and what's best? No. We can have those conversations, but we agree about a whole lot more. And so when Jesus says, may they be one, that the world will know and believe you, I think what we're doing with that, and anytime you do something, I've encouraged people in the past, and I'll encourage you today, if you want to skip giving Exodus a tithe check for a month, send another church in town that's you don't need my permission to do that, I'm telling you, I'm giving you my encouragement to do that. Because you'll find that your money will follow, your heart will follow your money. Actually, your money doesn't follow your heart. Yeah, your heart follows your money. So if you need to take a month, skip paying Exodus, or give us less, we're not paying, but make it for somebody else. Because we think that's part of our mission, right? May they be one, and then even in that small action, which is no small action if it's your money, right? Something, if Jesus is praying in an accurate way, something's happening to the rest of the unbelieving world around us. So, uh, because unity really matters to Jesus. Like, incredibly. So, go to the next slide now. So, here's, we're going to, I'm going to have us pray in two different ways, because we are gonna pray for, I'm asking you to just mention other churches in town to pray for in a second. But when you pray for like other people you know that are Christians, like I have four kids. Uh, 28, 25, 23 and 18 I think, is that right, am I right? So I can pray for Gretchen, when I pray for Gretchen may they be one, I'm not necessarily praying for a church. But one, when you're one, what I'm also praying for is may her relationships, all of her relationships, be one the way Jesus wants them one. Will she have harmony in her relationships with other Christians? Will, the, will, the, will she be overwhelmed in her own life with forgiveness and generosity? And will her relationships exhibit that? Would she have relational oneness with anybody else who's a follower of Jesus that she's friends with? So when I pray for... Gretchen, Mark, Allison, or David, when I pray this part of the four little prayers, may they be one, I'm really praying for the holiness of their relationships. And by that I mean distinct and pure and powerful and forgiving relationships and generosity in their relationships and just wholeness in their relationships. Because wholeness is oneness. So you can pray for your kids this way. Even, you know, if your kids are Jack says, what grade are your kids in? Sixth grade? Fifth grade? Okay, they can be praying for their kids. May they be one. And they're praying that they would develop a, a spiritual relationship kind of style that they are in harmony with other people. Not like lockstep agreement, but generosity, forgiveness, and humility mark how they relate to other people who follow Jesus. When you take humility out of the equation, marriages aren't one anymore. When you take humility out of the equation, We can't be one with other churches because we think we're right, right? Humility is key. So, um, here's what we'll do I want you to think of people you know and love, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's family members that are followers of Jesus. Think of one or two people. And in a second, I'm going to ask you just to whisper their names out loud. And then we're going to pray together out loud may they be one that the world will know and believe you. Because we're praying that even in my kids or your friends or neighbors who follow Jesus, when you're praying for them to have relational wholeness, marked by forgiveness, marked by generosity, marked by humility, you're also praying the same thing Jesus was praying for. He's praying that people will start noticing there is something different about these people. They forgive, they're humble, they're generous. How do they get that way? And I think... From what Jesus said, something starts to unblind people who may be around them, all right? So uh, on the count of three, and close your eyes. I just want you to whisper one, two, three names of people that follow Jesus that you're going to pray for for them to have kind of relational wholeness and oneness, all right? So on the count of three, just whisper their names so you can hear it yourself, one, two, three. So Jesus, we just put names before you. And we've whispered them, and you know who these people are. So, Jesus, and now look at the screen with me. Jesus, we're going to pray this prayer for them. Out loud with me. Here we go. May they be one that the world will know and believe you. So, God, we pray for these individuals we've just prayed for, family members, neighbors, others who we know follow Jesus. We pray for their relational wholeness. We pray they'd be people of generosity, of forgiveness, of humility because uh, we want them to have oneness in all the relationships with other believers. No arrogance, no envy. So we pray for that for those we love that we just prayed to you. Okay, now, uh, keep your eyes closed. I want you to whisper the name of a church you're aware of in Bloomington. It can be, you know, any church, but as far as you know, a Christ-centered, Bible-centered church. All right? And we're going to just whisper that, and then we're going to pray for the unity of that body because um, Satan deplores the unity of the church. He will do anything he can to split a church up. All right? He will do anything he can. All right? So on the count of three, just whisper a name of a Christ-centered, Bible-centered church that you're aware of in Bloomington. All right? One, two, three. So now, Jesus, we've just lifted congregations to you. Groups of people who go by names of churches who are your followers. And we know, Jesus, that uh, Satan hates the unity of people and he will always try to divide. So now we pray. I look up at the screen. We pray for these churches. May they be one that the world will know and believe you. So, God, we pray for Churches in Bloomington pray for St. Paul Catholic and Genesis Church and Christ Community Church and myriads of other churches who love you, Jesus, and they trust you and they trust the Bible. We pray for oneness within their congregations and their leadership. Pray that they'd be marked by mutual forgiveness and humility and generosity toward one another. We pray that churches between churches we would stop the silly habit of competition and start to love each other and pray that we would you might even stretch us to do that in greater ways we want we always want to be stretched about how we love others and we do this simply because and maybe profoundly because Jesus is what you prayed for and so when we think of people that we that we know that don't know Jesus here in Bloomington we want them to and we want their eyes to be opened from the blindness that Satan has done in our lives, but would you show us even small things we're to do, whether it's sending money to other churches this week, whether it's working on oneness in our relationships and our marriages, because all of those things speak strongly of the supernatural power of the life-giving uh, life of Jesus. So Jesus, we love you. Uh, we want to see others in Bloomington know you. Um, We want them to see that, we want them to know that you love them, and we want them to know that Jesus was sent by you. So even those people that we thought of earlier, specifically, would you begin to open up their eyes to the power of your Holy Spirit that's catalyzed by our lives and our unity and our love for others in the body of Christ. We love you, Jesus. Um, Thanks for praying for us. And I'll end this time by just praying for each of us here this morning, God, that we would be one, that our lives, our relationships, our lives as a congregation, our lives as couples or families or friends would be marked by forgiveness and generosity and humility and washing of feet because that's how that kind of bond is developed and that's where your Holy Spirit feels totally welcome. We want to be those kind of people. We love you and uh, we ask this on your name, Jesus. Amen.